Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. All right, my guest today is Eric Hunley, host of the Unstructured Podcast. He's forging his path in interview-style podcasts, and his show is followed by many other podcasters, including myself. He did over 100 interviews in less than nine months with guests from all corners of the globe, including Chris Voss, who's the author of one of my favorite books, Never Split the Difference. Great interview. You should listen to that. And Jordan Harbinger, who's a future guest on this podcast. His professionalism, detail to research, and smooth delivery as a host inspires many, again, including myself. And it's a reliable indicator as to why not only new podcasters, but also seasoned professionals are seeking his knowledge and direction. Eric's previous experience as an instructor as an instructor at the University of Arizona, has built his reputation as an educator, drawing on his many years as an athlete, marathon runner, coach, and university lecturer. Eric is now mentoring new podcasters who want to get a fast start in their podcasting careers. Now, what's interesting is that Eric is self-taught and understands that students can absorb any skill with the right guidance, which is something we're all about here at Growth Mindset University. He's continuously developing the systems and frameworks required to deliver a comprehensive interview podcast and fast-tracking the guest research process. He has published three books and is currently working on his fourth book, Interview Podcasting, Find Your Voice and Increase Your Authority. Eric, I love the unstructured podcast, and here's why. Like, this this little... This little pitch right here, I, I would, if you would go so far as to call this your elevator pitch, ready? Do you hate canned questions after show after show? Do you hate interview shows where the host is a placeholder between statements? Would you rather be engaged and really dig into what is going on as if you were eavesdropping on a conversation? I think that's genius. Like, where did you come up with that? <laughs> well, thanks. Um, you know, I'll just take this sound bite and then run with it. It's a great interview. No. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Um, I came up with it because I'm a fan of podcasts. You know, first thing, I, uh, another thing you've probably heard is it took me 10 years to launch. Well, during that 10 plus years, I've been listening to podcast after podcast after podcast. So while I wasn't practicing it myself, I was studying it, be it through osmosis, but just what is it that I like? What is it I don't like? What, what if I could get a hold of the microphone? what would I do? How could I control it? And there's a, some very famous podcasts out there and they ask the same list of questions that kills me. It mm. makes my ears bleed. I just, I personally, I, I respect it. There's a place for it. It's just not with me, but there's also a dryness to a lot of interviews and I don't want it to be dry. I want it to be conversational, but not a conversation, um, an interview, but not a structured interview. Mm. So I had a gentleman on 
recently, who's actually helped me figure out what in the hell I'm doing, um, Christopher Lockhead, who I highly recommend people checking out his show or our interview and reading his book, Play Bigger. But his whole principle in life is don't be better, be different. Because if you're trying to be better, you're playing in somebody else's pool. I, I don't know. All, uh, oftentimes, I like to put myself in a league of, in a league of my own. Sure. In terms of like, okay, so developing websites. So like, I don't really have to compete with prices. I don't have to compete in the race to the bottom. That's how. That's yeah. how I think of that. Is that a, is that a similar that's concept? A good category. I can actually place it on your show. Um, I've listened to it. You are probably even tighter on message than I am. You're kind of a self learning anti education podcast taught by somebody going through education. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's an interview show. And you believe in self teaching. And what was it? Somebody just said the quote. I'm reading Steve Sims' book. I have him coming up, but he quoted somebody saying, I hate schools, but I love education. Right. And I think you could frame that for your show. You love education, but you hate school. Yeah. I, yes, I say that a lot. I, and I even, you know, I, I hate school, but I wrote a book about learning. Now I'm actually curious. I don't know that I've really gotten your perspective on this. You were, you taught at the university of Arizona. Um, I'm just very curious as to, because I've been finding as I talk about education and my, with my, you know, it, with my radical views on it. I, I mean, they're not that radical, but like they're I'm finding out that edu education is like politics sure, and it, Really, the way some of the things I say turn off a lot of people, including, you know, people in my personal life, not just people online. I'm, I'm cool with turning people off online, but, you know, personally, it's a different story. It turns on a lot of people, but it turns off a lot of people. What do you think? I'm just curious as to your thoughts on education. Well, okay. Um, everything has this place and mm -hmm. we're all walking contradictions. Like, you're teaching education right now um, and you're decidedly against it, but I'm betting you're going to finish your degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's point out the immediate double standard. Now, ironically with me, I taught at the university of Arizona extended you. I do not have a degree. Oh yeah. Now the fun part of that was I was teaching electrical engineering students. That wasn't all I was teaching, but just there happened to be a whole bunch of them. And Cisco were some of the courses I was teaching. And guess what? They had just gotten a degree and couldn't find work. So they're coming to me, self-taught dude, to learn Cisco so they could get a job. So I feel like that probably is tailored into your biggest gripes. How so? Um, the fact that you can get an education and come out with nothing. Except right, right. right. Yes, it's, it's exactly it. And, um, yeah, it's, so you're, so you are self-taught in with, with interviews, right. And even, you know, with, with coding, right. What's so like, yeah, right. Exactly. What does it take to be self-taught? Like, how do you know you're not just teaching yourself the wrong things or the, the wrong way to do it? Right. Cause there's some room for error. <laughs> you don't always, that's the truth. I mean, you could be wrong. As a matter of fact, if you've listened to my show, how many times have I asked a question and, or made a statement? They go, well, no, that's not it. They go, oh, really? Cool. What, what is it? <laughs> because I actually enjoy being proven wrong. 
I'm weird that way. But I find that if I think something and you prove a fallacy in my thought, I don't forget that. If you walk along and nod your head to everything I say, I'm just spouting off and blah, 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 blah. And it all just floats on by. But when you throw something up and it's like, uh, no, then now I have to think about it. Now I have to look at my own stance. Now I have to either double down and, and come up with the facts to back up what I say or change directions and say, hmm, let me take this new piece of information and let's go explore. Now I'm having fun. Yeah. So, so you've interviewed a lot of people. You know, you've done over 100 interviews and, you know, I've listened to a good amount of them and, I, you know, they're very comprehensive. And, the, you know, even the way like you use uh, the Art of Charm and the Jordan Harbinger show as a research point. Sure. I kind of I use your show as a research point as well because they're very comprehensive and I can kind of get a feel for the person. And I like a lot of your guests. Oh, yes. And I'm curious as to who you know, cause we, we, we talk about, uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, people in the podcasting space all the time. You and I, you and I go back and forth. I'm curious as to some of your favorite interviewees to this point. Oh, who I've had on. Right. Um, God, there are so many of them that are good and they're good in different ways. I mean, James Fallon always comes up. Mm. He, he's that was a good one. one. Um, Jocelyn Stone is a particular favorite to me. I, I liked Rebecca Love also, but Jocelyn is unfiltered. So I was going through that interview, barely holding it in, just laughing the entire way. I mean, she's completely unhinged, completely unfiltered, and just so funny. I mean, I, right. I love somebody who's so comfortable with themselves that they'll just say freaking anything. Um, recently, I had uh, Jim Clemente on. That one... I'm really that, that I feel like we took a journey. I did not realize the depth of what he went through with nine mm-hmm. 11 and I'm um, dying on the table. I mean, I happened to ask the one question that opened this whole thing up and it was like, Whoa. And it was, it was so dark and deep. And I was like, how do I get back out of this? Cause that is sometimes mm-hmm. I'm sure you've gone through this in an interview too. You go down a path and you're like, um, where do I come back? That happened with Jordan Harbinger too. We started to go back in the past and trapping pedophiles and how he was setting people up at the FBI. And then I was like, well, how do I get back out of this to the uh, general podcasting? <laughs> because I, I don't um, edit the shows for flow. Um, I, I interviewed Jason DeFilippo also of um, Jordan Harbinger show and Art yeah. Charm recently. And we talked about that. He said that he's had to quote Frankenstein some interviews. And by that, he takes pieces of it and moves it around for flow. And I'm like, you know, that's pretty cool and awesome for advanced editing. I don't do that, though, because I've always had the intention of being able to maybe someday take it on the road and do live podcasts and live Mm -hmm. interviews. So I try to treat every interview like this is live to tape. I can't change the order. I have to edit on the fly as I go and keep the flow going which is scary totally and that's something that i remember from our very first conversation you treat you know many months ago you treat it like it is a live podcast a live interview show and sort of what that gets you is um you've been you've been um what i think one of the effects of that is like not saying um 
at all. You just take the the silence instead. I, you've you've become masterful at letting a little bit of silence go by rather than filling it with an um because you want to uh, get better at it uh, and you know you can't edit it out. I mean, you can, but you don't want to get reliant on that. And isn't that the goal with your show to make it like an interview, uh, a live interview show? Yeah, ultimately. I mean, the, the dream would be that I could go to a town and be on a stage and have an audience and actually, mm. you know, in, in the flow interview. So every interview I do is with that in mind that this is, this happened, this, this, point of time now if a phone rings i'm going to cut it out but other than that i, I really try to um keep it tight i will mm. do other things too like uh if there's a lot um uh, uh, because the mouth smack oh drives me crazy and yeah what I does that mean the, it's a click it means that they need to drink water or they just or they have um smacks um lack. Uh, we talk about that with uh, Jason DeFilippo. That that's that can be very distracting to listeners. So it, it's a, a weird balance. Now, if I was live, then yeah, I'd stay. Nothing I can do. But I will try to clean up, you know, the the weird clicks and smacks and stuff because it just doesn't help. Doesn't change mm. content in any way, but it does get distracting. Right. So how do you decide? You know, they're, they're dying. I mean, actually, I mean, you, it's called unstructured and you don't really have a structure, <laughs> you know, dynamic, informal conversations. But from what I'm, from what I'm getting, from what I'm piecing together, you just kind of, you just kind of pick up on like conversational threads and decide as you go and decide to go down a certain path. Is that correct? Like how, what is the art of your con <laughs> the art of conversation art look of like them. for you because you i mean because you hold these conversations without any structure for a you know a long time i'm you know what does your prep look like what is uh you know do you have notes or do you just do you just go do you just talk to people primarily i have a a list of questions um I will do a lot of research on the show. It could be anywhere from six to 10 hours, basically similar to Jordan Harbinger, but I've been known to go up to 30 hours. And wow. during this time, a lot of it is just to try to get a feel to really, I do want to try to understand the individual and what makes them tick. And hopefully talk to them in a manner that will reflect well with them and they will enjoy because a lot of the problem is, especially when I'm doing the research, I can hear boredom in their conversations. I can hear them, you know, hammering out the same talking points over and over and mm -hmm. over. And I also, and I'll criticize other hosts. I'm not going to drop names, but yeah. they, they will leave something on the table. Like, you know, um, the guest will be answering a question of, well, I started the business because I had lost my job and my sister had drowned and I needed the time to stay with the family to get, rid of. Oh really? Well, what were the big challenges you faced? <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm floored. I'm like, who cares? Throw all the rest of the interview away. They just talked about their sister drowning, how it affected them. Go there, mm. drop everything else. So I try to have 
a concerted effort of having a ton of information ahead of time to get a feel for them and be prepared to throw it all away. And that actually happened with Jordan Harbinger as an example. Jordan, if you've studied him at all, your namesake has had so many interviews. It is so many. hard to fathom. Yeah, I've heard, and, and I've heard many. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And how do you cover something new? How do you get a different angle? And I mean, yeah. I spent so much time and had so many questions for for him. I'm I, actually I'm going to look it up because I think I had like forty or fifty questions. In my no mind. way. I, I really feel like so there was one time where I feel as if. I actually overprepared and I had too many questions and I knew everything about the person and right. And I felt as if the curiosity was not really there. And I was just asking the questions just to elicit the response that I knew Mm -hmm. would come out. And you know what I mean? Is, isn't there a, isn't there a, a, a isn't there a chance you could over prepare? Is yeah. is there, there's a caveat to it, yeah. right? So what's your how do you find that balance? Well, sometimes I get ready. Like I'm going to keep using uh, Jordan Harbinger on that. Sure. I I went in, dug, 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 and I felt like there was a higher level point that I was missing that I wanted to explore, and I finally realized it. Jordan Harbinger is known as being a great interviewer. But his success is that he's a fantastic guest. Uh, yeah. So I threw everything out and went, you're known as an interviewer, but you're really a guest. <laughs> and that was your, and, and, and boom. And now all of a sudden we had a different flow. So we get into his history, started to dig a little bit deeper into his hacking. Um, what hosts do with him that he likes or doesn't like, because now I'm asking, you know, as a guest, do you study? Do you learn? What do you do? And, and it just opened it up. So now I could be curious. I have all the other information, but it was something, you know, a different angle. So a mm. lot of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find something unplumbed. Now I've used James Fallon a lot in different interviews. So I almost feel bad using him again, but I think it's relevant. He dropped the knowledge that he knew it was a personal family friend of George Carlin. And that, that topic wasn't explored. So it immediately, you know, it came up in my conversation and we you know, had some fun. So I look for those kinds of things. What is it that has been left out? Um, or some sort of random observation like um, Chris Voss, who you had mentioned before. He, he's cool. If you listen to him, as a matter of fact, his audiobook, I wish he had actually read because he's oh, right. cool. He's got this just vibe, this like, been oh, yeah. there, done that, you know, I know. No, he's all. got, you can hear, he's got the swagger. I'll call it that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely has a total swagger. Exactly. But he's a guy from, a, from Iowa and he sounds like he's a New Yorker. So exactly. I, opened, I opened up with that. It kind of had him chuggling. He's like, well, you know, <laughs> you got to get along with the, um, you know, the cops on the beat and stuff. So, but we established a relationship. Very interesting. Now you, with your history as a coder, like you, you were, you were an OG coder back in the, back in the early 
days of the internet. Is that right? Is that fair to say? Um, early ish, early ish. Yeah. Because really I started uh, late nineties, early oddies. So that's OG and early for you, but that's, I guess, <laughs> the first 10 years, the internet turned 30, oh. uh, just, um, last week or the week before. Right. Right. Sometime recently this year, because I don't know when the show's coming out, but <laughs> <laughs> so it turned 30. I've been using the internet since 95 with AOL. So I, I started using the internet six years into its existence and started actually working on computers and coding within a, a year or two after that. Is it fair to say and that coding is more uh, I don't and you know I, and I don't know that I'm using like the best word but it's more like obsolete than it used to be with stuff like WordPress. Sure. You know, right? Is is there there's not as big of a need for it? anymore is it and is there any like drawback i don't really see the drawback to using something like wordpress rather than custom coding the entire thing unless you know unless you have some very very specific like things that you want to do that just can't be done with wordpress but i think for the majority of people wordpress is a like a fantastic solution is that right yes and no i mean a, a good example is a friend of mine um Brandon Wood, and he's been on the show. He works for a, a web company who does um, SEO, and they code their sites, but their sites scale. So if you're going to build an Amazon, you can't be putting that on WordPress. If you're no. going to build a genuine, scalable site, WordPress is not the answer. If you're building a podcast site, absolutely. If you're a basic small business, absolutely, that's fine. Right. But if you're going to genuinely scale, then you need coding. Now, where does that put everybody? Well, honestly, um, I'd say most of IT is a bad field to get in right now. Oh, why? It's dying. Uh, yeah. People don't see it because they keep getting told, oh, go into IT, become a network admin. Well, that's nuts because the truth is we're all going to the cloud. When you have the cloud, that's one giant data center. By the way, an old joke about the cloud is that's not the cloud. That's just somebody else's computer. And that's technically true. But because it is a data center and everybody's stuff is stored in there, how many network engineers do you need in that data center? They make sure the backups are going and the processes are in place, but they replace entire departments. When you have... IT on-prem, which is how I came up, and on-prem means on-premises, like you have the servers on site. You need to make sure backups happen, create users, different things like that. No, you do need an IT staff. But now, honestly, everything has become so much more web-centric. You have some massive scalable cloud-based software, the financial systems, things like that. They're controlled by salesforces.com, uh, Dell Tech, and different mm. ERPs. And these are all in the cloud. So what do you need your local IT for? I'm drawing on, on inspiration from like unstructured. You know, this is, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm feeling very unstructured at the very, mo at the very moment. Cause like, I want I just thought about something from podcasting cool. and yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So uh, I'm curious as to like, you know, what you think, because you, you and not to like you know toot my own horn, but I'm just saying what you said. But you said 
in a in an iTunes review, Jordan is the future of podcasting. I agree. And I was well, thank you. I, I do appreciate yeah, I, I mean, I, I love, <laughs> I loved it so much. I put it on, you know, I put it on my website. I absolutely, I, I'm, I really, it's one of my favorite reviews. Um, but you could say that there's not really been a past to podcasting. And what does the future of podcasting look like in the next ten years, twenty years? What are you thinking? I don't know, Jordan. You got to tell me you're the future. <laughs> <I'm> the, <laughs> Honestly, I mean, we're to, just uh, discovering a lot of it. Right. Audio drama is coming up. Um, Audio what? drama. Yeah, like um, the diarist. I've had her on fantastic uh. shows. Um, fiction that's put forth in using Foley and things, which of course is like old timey radio. If you're old like me, I used to get tapes from the library and listen to. The shadow knows and all the cool shows from back then. So some of that's coming back, but there are other things that I can't quite envision because I have the legacy behind me of thinking of the metaphor of radio or the metaphor of this. But in reality, like James Cridlin had said, um, he said, instead of thinking of podcasts like radio, think of them like a bookstore because there's all these different areas and different things, hobbies and collectibles and whatever. Mm. Podcasts sort of cover everything in a bookstore. Then I revisited and complimented him on that, and he corrected himself again and said somebody else pointed out, no, it's like a library. Yeah. And I think that's true. So that just right there shows you, you know, I'm trapped in my own paradigm of my own experience. You being the age you are have always known an internet. You've never known life before the web. Because no. the web always existed. And by that, you're a digital native in every way. I'm a crossover to where I have a lot of um, a lot of history and, and different, you know, hard-coded things where it's hard for me to just be open mentally to see the next thing. And sometimes I'll see something and just think it's ridiculous and be completely wrong. Like um, texting. For years... I was like, this is just the biggest waste of time. It's kind of obnoxious. I don't know why people are doing it. Why don't they pick up the phone? Until finally I started sort of doing it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is a way that I can contact somebody. They can choose to answer right then. They could do it quietly on the fly. Or they can ignore it because oh. I'm not interrupting their dinner. <laughs> but, but I then, did not know then people. Then people can play games too <laughs> and leave you unread. Oh, well, yeah, the ghosting and all that. Type of thing. <laughs> I try to, because I mean, we all are sensitive to, you know, things like that. I try to just assume that, look, they just couldn't do anything about it right then. Or they just yeah. didn't feel like it right then. And I need to get over myself. You right. know, later on, they'll get back with me. Sometimes I get very like, I mean, we all, you know, people my age really get their, really get their feelings hurt <laughs> from, you know, it's a, it's a really, very interesting phenomenon. This, um, this whole um, playing quote unquote playing games uh, thing sure. and, and leaving, you know, and, and then like seeing, leaving people on red and, and not answering, but like posting an Instagram story, you know, you see the, you know, see them posting an Instagram story and it's like, gosh, well, why didn't they answer me? You know, and it right. just becomes right. Yeah. It becomes very, it's it hard can, it's hard yeah. at that age, though. I mean, you know, I, I, I remember them. And everything is so much more intensified. And I, 
I hate doing the whole, well, you're young or whatever. I don't mean that as an insult. I, I mean it as a reality. The um, proportion of your life that you've actually spent dealing with um, social paradigms is much greater to the whole of your life. So really, okay, from one to six, you barely remember anything, right? Uh, yeah, not many. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I got a couple of memories, you know. So you're 21 now, out. right? Right. So the, the, this factor is, yeah, for, let's say from 16 on is when you're really starting to pay attention a bit more. So yeah. a quarter of your life, dude, that's a quarter of your life. That's quite a bit. And there's a lot more importance to it. I'm 48. So I have a lot more years that um, being ignored than I've been kicked in the nuts a few too many times. <laughs> I've been ignored many, many times. I've been ghosted. I've been mm -hmm. mocked. I've had years for to be angry at somebody to find out that, oh, it was just a complete misunderstanding. And really, I've just had so much more life to know that I'm just not that important. Just not that important. Yeah. I think about that as, as well. You know, I think about that sometimes. And, you know, when I see this, even when I see the stars at night, you know, I just realize, <laughs> yes. it, you know, how in, very, uh, very insignificant, but in a good, it's a good, good way. Like I was doing it, I was doing it last night. I was looking at the stars and it was, it's a really incredible experience. Now, Eric, I'm very curious as to what is next for you in your career over the next 10 years? Well, currently I'm following the old saying, don't quit your day job. <laughs> I'm just working on the show. I'm growing the show, meeting people like you, right? Building audience, growing things like that. And that's one reason I say you're the future of podcasting. Is you're 21, you're still in school, and you're establishing some really good habits and patterns now. And it's a very long ramp. Mm -hmm. Well, if you do your typical ten, uh, the typical overnight sensation is about 10 years. <laughs> I don't know if you realize that, but it, it is true. Now it could be narrower or longer and you may get some success in the way, but to really go somewhere, you're looking at that. Well, 10 years for you is 30 because you've been doing this for a year or so. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. 10 years for me is 50 something. So at the peak point, I'm already going to be starting to head back down. Hmm. You are going to be hitting your peak still super young and be able to be at those Jordan Harbinger levels mm. because he was up there in his thirties and has just maintained he's growing and growing and growing. So a lot of mine is how do I make the best thing that I can to where my own little ripple can have an effect. So if I'm influential to you, then that's really awesome because I can get far more out of influencing you than myself or than I can produce directly. It's, uh, I mean, I, th you know, I thank you for, for the kind words, but I mean, it, you are, I mean, I have to acknowledge you for that. You're doing a fantastic service. And I, I mean, just with the help that you've provided me, all the suggestions that you have given me and, and, you know, you, you know me, I mean, and you've told me that this is why you keep giving me the, the suggestions because I just take them and, and run with them and, and like, you know, I would say, give me an inch and, and I'll take a mile. And sure. right. And, you know, there's been several, there's been several suggestions that you've given me that have made a big difference and really, and just really been very helpful to me. And you, you're very giving, like you're just, you, you know, oh, <laughs> you don't always anticipate hitting the mic like that, but you, <laughs> yeah. 
but I really appreciate you. You know, you, you know, we're just like talking over, over LinkedIn, like, like all the time, man, you know, you've out of like, you know, all the friends that I've made through LinkedIn, like you're one of the best, man. You really, you're really, uh, you know, I consider you a good friend and you know, it's been, it's really been cool, man. I, I really appreciate your friendship, how giving you are and just the, yeah, it, it seems very selfless and I appreciate it. Well, thank you, man. Thanks. And really anything I give you and that you run with is just a reflection on me. So oh. I can be greedy as can be. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, but think of it as a management principle. Why would you want to take credit for your team's work? Why not give it to your team? You're the manager. Right. So I, I do enjoy seeing you run with things. I really like everybody who takes suggestions and I feel so good if my suggestion does work Mm. and sometimes they can work for you, but they won't work for me. And I can just see it from the outside. Well, Eric, uh, my, I have to ask my final question. And my final question is, you know, if you could teach a course, so this is where I always get caught up whenever I have a teacher on, (laughs) I always, so if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? And, you know, it might have changed since you've done that. So I'm going to still open up that question to you. Oh, I'm actually working on the book, but the course I'm working on in my mind, I'm hoping to maybe teach uh, or give as a lecturer at podcast movement. I put my hat in there, my name in the hat, who knows if I get picked out, but the basic theme is it's not about you. And Hmm. it, that's the angle of the podcasting. When I started podcasting, I made it all about the guest that I wanted to be their friend. I wanted to be cool to them. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap. Um, It's completely understandable. Yeah. I'm guilty as charged. Well, it's imposter syndrome and everything else. And you're like, Oh my God, this is an amazing person. I mean, you, you're not bringing people on that you, are kind of yawning about you, you really do want to have these people on over time. I realized that I was wrong. It's definitely not about me, but it's also not about the guests. It's about the audience. What am I bringing them? Why should they listen to me and my show versus uh, 550,000 other shows out there? Now, I don't know how many interview shows, but I mean, I can go through a lot of them off the top of my head. Why, why should they bother? What actual value am I bringing? So then it's like, I can't be their friend. I can be friendly. I can be open. I can be warm. And we may get a relationship afterward. Awesome. But I have to be the advocate of the audience. I have to be able to, I don't know if I succeed at doing this, but I have to perform the job of, if I ask a question do I ask the follow-up that the audience is asking me to ask without even knowing it? That's powerful. And it's hard. Uh, a lot of it is, is hard. And I'm, I'm by myself. That's where having a co-host sometimes I feel like would be so helpful because I could be thinking of the next question while my co-host is talking. I can be listening. 
I'm kind of doing a crazy dance where I'm looking at notes. I'm actually typing sometimes when I'm interviewing because I have bad short-term memory. And so they'll say something midstream and I'm like, Ooh, that makes me think of Jonathan Haidt da, 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 da. or that makes me think of something. So I got to type it out here. They're still talking. So I'm still interpreting and I might forget what I just said because I know another thought. So I'm trying to, if I don't ask the question that the listener has, I ask one that's equally as good or interesting to the listener. Eric Hunley, you're the man. Thank you. Gosh, thank you. <laughs> there you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick five-star rating in iTunes. All you have to do is grab your iPhone or iPad, open up the Apple Podcast app, hit the search tab, search the show, Growth Mindset University, or just search my name, Jordan Paris, tap the show, scroll all the way to the bottom, and then just hit that fifth star, and that helps us tremendously in ways that you could never even imagine. It means the absolute world to me when people do this. I would be eternally grateful if you do that. We're pushing 100 ratings right now, and it's really making a difference for this show. And of course, if you've not already subscribed to the show, just make sure you do that wherever you're listening to so that you don't miss that next episode. I know you're not going to want to miss it. And you only heard this episode today because I thought it was valuable enough to post here. So if you want to share that value with your friends, your family, go ahead and do that. Share this episode with them. Take a screenshot, send it to them. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram story and tag me at J underscore Paris underscore so that I know you're listening and I can get back to you and put a face to the name. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level, my book is on Amazon. It is also called Growth Mindset University. It's all about how to learn anything, how to take control of your life, and how to fulfill your vision of success. And you're not just supporting me and this channel by getting this book, but you're also getting this awesome book that's going to lay out the rules and principles to design your life full of joy and fulfillment. All right. I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.